drills it to left field, and it's gone. You know, the mistake was not throwing a curveball. The mistake was throwing three in a row so Vladimir Guerrero could see it. Hey, what's going on? It's at the Letters, brought to you by Miller Lite, the original light beer. Today is Thursday, September the 2nd, 2021. My name is Arden Zwellin. He is Ben Nicholson-Smith, our producers. Kristen Ryan, Nick on draw. Ben, math is real easy now, because the Blue Jays have 30 games to play throughout the rest of this month and a little bit at the beginning of October, because this uh, season runs a little bit late and if you pull up the standings uh, on oldmlb.com you will see that the blue jays are four and a half games back of the second wild card spot they have 170 they have lost 62 they have 30 to play you gotta win 20 more if you want to get to 90 and 90 might not get it done the yankees are on pace for 94 the red Sox are on pace for 91 those are your two wild card teams as things presently stand that could always change but 90 is at least a nice round arbitrary number to shoot for so that means the blue jays essentially have 10 losses to play with the rest of the way as soon as you lose an 11th game it's going to be extremely hard to qualify for the postseason with 89 wins just the way things that are shaping up right now might be hard to qualify as well with 90 but at least if you get to 90 you've given yourself a good shot 10 to lose the rest of the way ben do you believe the blue jays can get to 90 wins can they? Yes. I mean, they certainly have that ability. Uh, will they? I mean, the odds obviously say no, they will not. It's hard to predict that this team will definitively do that. So I'm not going to be the one who goes out and says that, you know, they're they're going to you know get red hot and stay hot and, and get it done. Um, but certainly they have that kind of ability. It's going to be interesting. I, I think, you know, four and a half games back as they enter this final stretch of games, it's enough to keep our attention. It's certainly enough to be interesting, but it's also a pretty significant gap when the teams you're chasing are, are pretty good. Obviously, the Red Sox right now running into some troubles with COVID. The Yankees, I think, are out of the reach of the Blue Jays. But, you know, it, it does put a lot of pressure on, as you said, each loss. You, you've only got so many to play with. Yeah. And by the way, uh, the Blue Jays lost 12 games in April, 13 in May, 12 in June, 11 in July and 14 in august so there is not a single digit loss month on the uh, the ledger for this club to this point so they're gonna have to do something they haven't done at any point this year they're gonna have to go 20 and 10 uh that's gonna be really hard to do they're gonna have to run up a bunch of wins in bunches if they do do it it'll be quite a story it'll be quite something it'll be amazing and we'll have all experienced it and gone along for this ride and we'll all look back on it and say wow wasn't it cool that we were there for it uh but the odds of it happening are rather remote big picture like how do you think that we got here and why do you think the blue jays are where they are right now because you look at this team and we've kind of been over this before on the podcast it's like why isn't this team better? How do you have Marcus Simeon having the year he's having and they have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette, obviously Robbie Ray, Cy Young candidate, you know, really good contributions through the the pitching staff with Alec Manoa, Hunjin Ryu, Steven Matz, et cetera. Like, why do you think this team is where it is right now on September 2nd? Well, you know, it's a great question. I think that basically they are a good team. Like, and and it's funny too, like you look back at the, month-by-month records that you were just citing there in a weird way they've actually been consistent because they've been at 500 (laughs) or above every single month of this season even august where you know i think that there was this 
feeling at times, and I felt it too as someone who observes this team closely, but there was this feeling at times that the sky is falling, like this season is is going off the rails, whatever metaphor you want to pick, like it was not going well for the Blue Jays. And yet they were above 500 in August. They were a good team every month of the season. So it's weird because obviously we're following on such a micro level that you really get pulled in to the highs and lows that each day and each inning brings with it. But you know, they have been a good team all year. I think the team we see right now is actually a very good team. But part of the problem is they spent too much of this season with TJ Zoik and Ty Tice on the roster. I mean, it's a problem that Jeremy Beasley has pitched more games for the Blue Jays this year than Jose Barrios. That's not good. <laughs> so, you know, this is this is a team that's had too much of Joe Panic and too much of Josh Palacios and, and even too much of Randall Gritchuk and not enough of George Springer. So, you know, now that they have Springer healthy, they have Barrios, they have Manoa, who's having this great season. Yeah, this is a good team. Yes, they could do some damage in the playoffs if they got there, but they probably aren't going to get there because they spent the season dealing with injuries and, and you know, part of the season, they lost a bunch of games that they should have won due to the bullpen. And I, I don't know if that answers the question. I'm kind of rambling here, but those are some of the thoughts that come to mind. No, it's it's two things to me, right? And it's one, it's the the winnable games that they missed out on. And, uh, you know, I don't know if I'm going to do it, but somebody is going to do it around this team where you go back and you look at the 12 to 15 times that the Blue Jays blew a game in the eighth or ninth inning. Uh, and, and you're going to do that on October 5th when you have the final standings and you see, oh, they missed the playoffs by, you know, if they had three wins, right? If they took these four games, these two against the Rays and these two off of, I don't know, the Red Sox or finishes above them in the wild card. And you say, yep, they took those, the standings would look different. And here are like the very like small margins by which this season was lost. Easy. Click, 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 click. So there's that. But then there's also what you're talking about. And I agree with you because it gets back to what we talked about a lot coming into this season. And that was depth and how important depth was going to be for this team. Like we talked about it all spring and we talked about it in the context of COVID times, right? And expecting that, yeah, maybe you're going to have to be missing some players because of COVID tests uh, or COVID positives, I should say. Um, you know, we were talking about it in the context of injuries because we all expected that there would be a ton of injuries this year. And those fears actually did materialize in a very big way quite early in the season, you know, coming off of a 60 game campaign. We just expected a lot of uncertainty. So we thought depth would be tested and I think it has been tested and I think that that test has proven that the Blue Jays depth was not good enough you think about starting depth like starting pitching depth when the Blue Jays obviously the rotation has been great over the second half but over the first half as you mentioned TJ Zoyak was making starts Anthony Kay was making starts like those guys disappointing Trent Thornton you could throw him in there as well as a guy who coming into the season you thought maybe this is guy is going to make some starts it hurts that those guys like did not come through for you when you needed them Thomas Hatch in a bit of a different way because he was like largely unavailable for the first half of the season and over the second half he's kind of been stuck in kind of quad a purgatory but not having a big contribution from him coming off 20 his 2020 that hurts and then you look at the bullpen right Kirby Yates David Phelps, Julian Merriweather, all lost to injury. 
that hurts. So you go down to your depth and it's guys like Raphael Dolis and Tyler Chatwood who are just crashing and burning out of the league. And it's a guy like Patrick Murphy who, who gets called up and is this big arm prospect who you've been dreaming on for years. And his performance is just not at all what you think it's going to be. That hurts. You look position player wise and your depth. You look at a guy like Kevin Biggio having a just a brutal year from a, a health and performance perspective. You're looking at no offensive contribution out of the catching position from any of the four young guys that you've been throwing through there. Like having Santiago Espinal be like your one kind of feel good story position player depth wise is not enough. And so like I think that if and when this team fails to qualify for the postseason, it's not going to be because of the top end of the roster. It's it's going to be because of the bottom. Oh, yeah. I mean, the top end of this roster is as good as it gets, really, in all of Major League Baseball. I think you could put them up against the Dodgers or you know the Astros or the Yankees or really any team. The White Sox, clearly. like This, this core is really good. That's not just for this year. Although some of it's just for this year in the case of Semyon and Ray. I mean, those guys are having incredible, incredible seasons. Obviously, in the months to come, we'll have lots of time to talk about their free agent prospects and what it means for for the Jays. But, you know, clearly this is a group that has performed at the top end. But like you said, you know, there, there have been stretches this year. Like take the month of August, for example, where you have Vlad Jr., you know, for most of the month, he obviously has kind of become Vlad Jr. again in the last little bit. A few home runs in the last week. That's really encouraging for the Jays. And he ends the month of August with very good numbers offensively, um, even for a period of time where he was said to be slumping for much of it. But he wasn't hitting for a good chunk. Bobichat didn't hit at all in August. Gritchick didn't hit. Springer was injured. So you had this need for someone to step up. But like you said, the next tier of guys, whether it's Bravik Valera, Santiago Espinal, Reese McGuire, they didn't hit for that stretch. So that is a, a situation where, you know, the depth could have stepped up, didn't end up doing it. And even still, I mean, you've got teams like, say, the Seattle Mariners, where they are not nearly as good as the Blue Jays. They're just not. But they've had better luck when it comes to, you know, the little random distribution of runs when you get those runs, when you get those big hits. The Jays, for whatever reason, haven't hit late in games, in close ball games. They've been unlucky to some extent. And that does figure in. Maybe that's two, three wins in the course of a year. Maybe it's more, maybe it's less. But that luck does sway things a little bit. And for a team on the edges, you feel that difference. You just rattled something in my head just as like an aside the mariners are ridiculous like i was yeah. watching them the other night against the astros and it's like zero zero game into the, uh, the seventh through the eighth kendall graveman in for the astros bases loaded abraham toro at the plate two guys who are traded for each other grand slam game ends for nothing the next night i think it was toro again actually it was toro again i think with the sack fly and so abraham toro like just beat the astros on two days they got the murderers shut them out both days it's just crazy uh what that team is doing you got like paul seawald like coming in you know to like close out games with 92 mile an hour heaters breaking balls nasty though yes no for yeah. sure but it's just, like it's just crazy like what they are doing it's insane but it must be a lot of fun to be a mariners fan right now or also maybe kind of torturous i don't know i don't know if you'd rather be a blue jays fan or a mariners fan this season 
to be honest with you. Do, would you rather have this like really overachieving team in the Mariners, which is like not great true talent wise, but like, you know, comes through with all these kind of crazy victories, probably still going to miss playoffs. Or do you want to have like this underachieving team where you have all these great stories and this great base, but you drop all of these winning games, winnable games, and also going to miss the playoffs? I think for two teams that are both on the outside looking in right now and, you know, objectively likely to miss, I think you'd rather have the one that projects going forward as a team that's likely to yeah. be really good. And I think the Jays are are in that position. I mean, Mariners, it's 20 years now since they've made the playoffs. Like, that's a long... Blue Jays fans know that is a long time to go between playoff appearances. No, totally. They do have, like, some interesting young guys, too, though, on that. You know, you look at Jared Kelnick and Logan Gilbert. And, oh, yeah. And, I mean, like, they... I don't know. It's like it's just kind of interesting what polar opposites those two teams have, have been this year. But it's not a Mariners podcast. It's a Blue Jays podcast. That's the thing, right? Like where the Blue Jays, um, what they were really missing was like we're not looking back and saying Thomas Hatch gave a you know gave him like ninety league average innings as a swingman. Like I'm not asking for a lot here, right? Like yeah, Anthony K filled that hole in the rotation at one point, um, and actually was worth like a win above replacement over his uh like 70 to 80 innings that he ended up with, right? Like we're not looking back and saying Danny Jansen or Alejandro Kirk gave us like 350 played appearances of like I don't know, a league average OPS and just decent defense behind the plate. We're not looking at Rowdy Tellez like carrying over what he did in 2020 and not even being like an everyday guy, but just being like a part-time player who gives you like that 850 OPS he had last year, whatever it was, gives you a win, a win and a half in that part-time role. Like we're not, the Blue Jays aren't looking when they look back on the season, it's like, what were they missing? They're not looking for foundational pieces. Like they're not looking for the Vladimir Guerrero Juniors and the Robbie Rays and like the, the 500, 600 plate appearance guys, the 150, 160 inning guys. It's those guys around the periphery who give you 200, 250 plate appearances over the course of a season. Those are the pieces that just weren't there for this team that's sort of where the bottom fell out i think like roster construction wise but even still like the upside like the high end of this team was still so good is still so good it's not over obviously like the upside of this team with a cy young candidate and like two guys will get mvp votes rookie of the year candidate in alec manoa the upside is still so good that the blue jays still could have gotten into the postseason with some better luck and with some better results in late and close situations and with fewer blown leads. That's how good the upside was, but they're likely not going to get there because the the depth just wasn't supporting it when the Blue Jays really needed it to. Right. And I mean, they still could make it. And I, I know that, you know, probably the first part of this podcast is, has veered, you know, more toward the negative here as it probably should to reflect how they've played in the last you know few weeks period of time here but they still have a chance it's around 10 percent if you look at fan graphs different sites will have different ways to assess that so 10 percent's not nothing and, and neither is two percent but like 10 percent is like a real chance like if they lose four of six and and you know we're talking next week about a team that needs to go you know whatever it is 22 and four five or something or, or i guess at that point the, the numbers would be different but if they have to go you know 19 and three to make the playoffs like they're not doing it but now they actually like there's a chance where they could go 20 and 10 they could make the playoffs so 
you know, as much as there's this temptation, and I'm certainly guilty of it, uh, whether I'm writing or on different platforms, like there's this temptation to talk about Robbie Ray's free agency and Marcus Simeon's free agency, and are they going to be back, and which one should they bring back, and I still think, you know, there is a month of season to to play out here. And, you know, if you're the Blue Jays, your focus has to be on the field. It has to be maximizing what you can get out of this team for that time being. And I think there are real ways that that shifts the way they make their decisions. You know, whether it's who they call up in September, whether it's, you know, the kind of rest that they, that they can give to the young players like Vlad and Bo, whether it's how they use a guy like Jordan Romano, who's having a great season and, you know, really needs to be someone that they rely on a lot. Um, I think you're probably a little bit more aggressive in the way that you use those guys and you probably dial back the rest because there is a real chance. It's slim, but it's real and it's in front of them. So they do have to do everything in their power right now to, to see if, if they can make the most of it. Yeah, when it comes to, and I know this is a huge topic, right? Resigning Robbie Ray or Mark Simeon, what they're going to do in free agency. We're going to have so much time to talk about yeah. that. That's why I don't even want to go down that road yeah. right now. Because <laughs> we're going to, like, here, like, here's the thing, right? You got a CBA expiring on December 1st. That I don't think that you're going to see those guys sign prior to that. And that's going to freeze all transactions when CBA expires. So you know how many months we're going to have <laughs> to talk? Like you got to wait until there's a new CBA before you do those guys sign, unless the most unlikely of things happens. I just don't see it happening before December 1st. So which means that we're likely going to be talking about those guys well into 2022. Yeah, I, I think you're you're likely right. I mean, it's going to be interesting like how teams proceed. My guess is that teams will... Once that CBA expires, the teams will have an okay for Major League Baseball to kind of proceed if they want to. But of course, there's going to be such a lack of clarity on on the details and the finer points of the CBA that I think a lot of people involved are likely to wait. And teams, of course, are going to wait. So I think we're going to see a very slow moving offseason this year. Like it's not going to be, you know, the flurry of moves, obviously, that you see in other sports because baseball's been trending that way anyways so yeah, yeah we, we might be talking about these guys like literally in six months you know so so for now you know the games on the field <laughs> right? are probably deserving of our focus well yeah and you could do something small i suppose right you could do like a robbie ray of last year one year eight million dollars right like you could probably do that but when you're talking about you know what robbie ray and marcus simeon are going to be like demanding going forward like multiple years nine figures like you're not making that kind of decision, I don't think, or that kind of commitment without understanding what the rules of play are going to be under the future CBA. Because it doesn't just affect like those players going forward. It impacts like your pre-arb players potentially as well and like how you need to budget things for players that you're going to need to think about extending or paying through arbitration or you know taking away from free agency going forward as well. Like it's there is a you know, there's a cascading effect to to all of this. Think about it this way. All it takes is one team. So let's say Robbie Ray is dealing with, you know, 10 suitors, 12 suitors, okay, in the offseason. If one of those teams is up against the CBT, the luxury tax, then that team will probably want to know what the details of the CBT are before they proceed with an offer because it will impact the way they structure that offer. It will impact the scale of that offer, the fine print in the contract, anything. So as soon as one team is waiting to see what the details of the CBT are, then probably if you're Robbie Ray in his camp, you want to make sure that you wait on that team so that you can include that offer in your decision making so that you can proceed having evaluated every option in front of you. So 
to me, yeah, this is going to take a while. And uh, yeah, just brace yourselves, uh, baseball fans, for a long extended process here. Yeah, no doubt. Um, but that is uh, months away. Uh, within the next week, uh, the Blue Jays have a series against the Oakland A's. They have a series against the New York Yankees. You know, within these next seven games, we might know one way or the other. Or the Blue Jays might just kind of come out of it, like still kind of, uh, you know, they might just have homeostasis through that. But even that, like, really would be bad. <laughs> that wouldn't help them. Like, they need to win these series at the very least I mean, preferably sweep one but that's going to be pretty hard to do considering the quality of opposition and also considering that the blue jays can't score right now in the dozen games coming into wednesday night's game uh in which the blue jays scored five which like i guess constitutes a, an offensive breakout at this point the blue jays were averaging three runs per night it's not enough it's not going to be enough to win down the stretch. Uh, if anybody has watched this team throughout the season, I don't know how much trust you can really put in them in those tight games when like late game situational bullpen pitching and defense kind of really come into play. And when those late and close big time played appearances against the other team's best relievers really come into play. Blue Jays need to start scoring again. And I don't really have any good answers for why the offense just has not been there for like half a month now. But I do know that it needs to change going forward if the Blue Jays are going to take advantage of this very thin margin that they have to work with. Absolutely. You know, there's there's no question. I mean, having Springer back should help. And then having Flatty hitting the way that he is right now, um, in contrast to how we hit for a good chunk of the month of August is a huge development for the Jays and a huge, a huge swing in their in their fortunes because Vladdy at his prime, at his peak levels, he's the best hitter in baseball. You know, we've we've seen that all season. We've said that all season. It remains true. No one is a better hitter. If you have that guy and he's on and he's performing at peak levels, then that goes such a long way. You add Springer in, they should be a good offensive team. I mean, I it's it's perplexing, you know, why they went through that stretch. I can't explain it, certainly. Some guys like a Randall Gritchuk, like still not hitting, still not really making sense to me as to as to why he's in the offensive struggles that he is. But I do think it'll switch because for most of the season, they've been an excellent offensive team. And you look at the personnel, it's a really good lineup. So I, I think that they'll score in September. And and again, I think they're a good team. Like I think that they're going to win more games than they lose. It's just a question of whether they can win, you know, that two thirds clip that they probably need to. Yeah, there was such a damning moment in Wednesday's game with uh, with Randall Grichuk, where uh, Charlie Montoyo chose to leave Corey Dickerson in to face a lefty, and he grounded into an inning double play, and then immediately replaced him defensively with Randall Grichuk the following inning. So that really tells you everything you need to know about how the Blue Jays feel about Randall Kritschik's bat right now and the kind of confidence they have in him at the plate. Ironically, he ends up, quote-unquote, winning the game with a sacrifice fly later on. You know, that moment stuck out to me big time. Um, It's kind of, look, it's been like the story of the season in some ways that the Blue Jays just can't get everything lined up at once. Like, they plug one hole and another opens up. You think about it. Starting pitching, start of the year, really strong. But the Blue Jays couldn't hit at all in April, right? Like what we're seeing right now is basically what happened in April. And then what? By May, June, the bats had come around. You know, Vladdy's starting to break out. Bo's having the season he's having. But then the starting pitching took a step back. 
at that point. And the Blue Jays had trouble, you know, winning a lot more than they lost at that point. And you think about the bullpen, which began the year really strong. Like it was a serious strength through the first six weeks, I want to say. And then became an enormous weakness, basically by early summer. And now, again, we're seeing that the starting pitching has been like on this absurd roll since essentially the second half, the beginning of August. But the bats have run out of steam. And, and the offense has run out of gas. So it's just, you know, one hole gets plugged, another opens up. Blue Jays just can't seem to get everything clicking at once in the way that we saw on that first homestand back at Rogers Center. That was maybe like the only time this year where the Blue Jays really had everything lined up the way they have sort of constructed this team to perform. And now they're in a position where, you know, in any given week, their season could really be lost. You know, at this point, they're one and six week away from truly being out of it. Yep. And yet, if you go six and one, it doesn't really assure you of anything. You know, you go six and one, okay, your playoff odds are a little better. You're in a slightly better position. Probably at that point, you're two and a half games out of the wild card and you're feeling good, but it still means you're on the outside looking in. So it's it's really a tough spot that they find themselves in. Yeah, one in six week, and you're like shutting down George Springer for the year, like Kevin Smith's playing every day. Uh, you know, Jordan Romano's getting that. He's not being used as aggressively as you're suggesting. No backs. <laughs> no, no, no. Certainly not for Tim Mays either. Uh, yeah, those that, you know, when, when you start seeing those things start to happen, you'll know, okay, Blue Jays have waved the white flag here as well. We're not there yet. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about some of those uh, those strong pitching performances that we've seen. We'll talk about expanded rosters. We'll talk about so much more when we continue on At The Letters. It continues on at the letters Arden Zwelling, Ben Nicholson Smith, our producers Christian Ryan and Nick Andrade. And it is time now for Keeping It Light, presented by Miller Light. A reminder you can uh, send us any suggestions or ideas to at the letters at sportsnet.ca. Ben, it is September somehow. Time. It's just not even a thing anymore. I don't understand it. Uh, but it's September and rosters have expanded across MLB, but not in the way that you might be so familiar with. It used to be expanded to 40 and you had to like get additional clubhouse space and you had these crazy packed bullpens that looked like, you know, an NHL penalty box after like a, a brawl, right? And just had all these guys crammed in no longer the case you've now got 28 players on your roster expanded from 26 blue jays called up a couple of relievers in nate pearson and brian baker but i'm curious ben like do you like the fact that the expansion only goes to 28 roster spots do you think that's the right amount or do you kind of miss the days of uh 40 dudes and seeing those guys with the number like 76 on the back of their uniform it's way better this way. It's just way better to have 28 and to have the final month of the season, a month that matters a lot, obviously, in the standings, to have that reflect what actually happens during the regular season. I, I just think that you know, not the teams would necessarily go to the full 40, but even if they were rostering and carrying 33, 34 guys on the active roster, it's just too much. Like, no one needs that. I'm not... <laughs> when I'm watching baseball this month, I highly, highly doubt... 
that there will be a moment where I'm thinking, man, you know what this game needs? It needs a 29th or a 30th player. Like we just need to have that 11th reliever. That's the difference between, you know, me really enjoying this baseball game or not. Like either the first 26 or 28 players are going to be enough to create an entertaining product or to help your team win the game or they're not. You know, players 29 through 34 to me just add very little. I understand there's some good stories there. It can be a great way to give you know, some players like John Birdie, for example, a major league debut and celebrate that. But I think on the whole, it's just not necessary. And on any given night, you've got nine players on the field that still gives you, what, 18, 19 bench players, 19 players who are not playing on a given day. 19 backups should be enough. I don't think you need more. Yeah, I agree. And I, I do think that it's kind of foolish and dumb that like the rate the rules change in the final month of the year because this impacts playoff races, right? Like, And also it kind of does encourage teams that aren't competitive. It, it makes it easier for them to rest regulars down the stretch, essentially. When you got 40 guys on your roster and your team that's out of it, like you can take your regulars out of the lineup and play you know whatever like quad a dude that you called up from your triple a affiliate and that can impact playoff races right depending on who you're playing and depending on your opposition so i like that it sort of discourages that i like that the rules don't change you know i'm kind of thinking that actually this is a little bit of an aside but whoever the pitcher is who takes like his final plate appearance of the 2021 mlb season is going to be the final pitcher to make a plate appearance. Like speaking of having different rules, yeah. I would not be surprised if we see universal DH beginning in the next, um, whenever the next season is played. Um, Cause it's dumb that there's different rules in the two leagues. Like it doesn't make sense. So, you know, I, I like it for that reason. I like anything that decreases the amount of pitching changes that you have late in games. Cause I think that does materially impact pace of play. So I like anything that encourages, uh, you know, a, a shorter game. At the same time I do, sort of miss some of the stories that you get right because when you have like that expansion you do get that guy right like that john birdie guy like that org guy that dude who's been grinding that minor league veteran who gets to come up and kind of have a taste of of the majors like the it's fewer opportunities for baseball players who just are not going to be big leaguers to at least have a taste of the big leagues or at least make that plate appearance in front of their family or you know like i i know it's a little like wishy-washy but i do kind of wish that that still was a thing i'm okay without it to be honest <laughs> it's also fewer guys getting paid sorry to cut you off that's i just remembered what i was gonna say there's fewer guys getting paid too right so I, I'm, I want more guys getting big league service and big league checks and per diem and spread and stuff like that like when you think about what the the trade-off for the union in this i guess was like okay we'll get the extra guy the 26th guy for the first five months but then we'll give up 12 dudes in the final month i don't know about that trade-off i if i'm the union i might have kept it at 25 and then 40 in, in September, I think in the aggregate, you'd probably end up with more guys getting paid. I do think minor league pay is a problem. I do not think expanding rosters in September is the <laughs> solution, solution to that problem. <laughs> so I think that we'll, we'll see some good, some good ball games and uh, I'm great. I'm very happy that those 28th players will be in major league baseball and get that shot and, and hopefully have some great stories that we can talk about. But I don't know that we need to keep adding numbers 29 and 30 and 31. 
Fair enough. Blue Jays pitching has been really, really good for a while now. In the second half of the season, Blue Jays starting pitchers lead the AL in like any category you want to look at. Wins above replacement, innings pitched, uh, ERA, strikeout to walk, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like whatever you like, this rotation has been the best in the AL over the second half of the season. Like it's pretty wild. And the guy leading that charge, the guy who has been the best guy on the AL's best staff over the second half is Robbie Ray, of all people. One year, $8 million last winter. One of the first free agents off the board and one of the best free agent signings of the offseason. Blue Jays, by the way, won the offseason last winter, like hands down. Robbie Ray, Marcus Simeon, uh, you know, George Springer obviously has been hurt here and there. But I mean, when he's been available, he has been spectacular. Blue Jays won the offseason. So I'll show you like how important it is to win the offseason. But Robbie Ray, like is going to get Cy Young votes and is kind of this three-horse race between him, Lance Lynn, and Garrett Cole, who, uh, oh, by the way, like struck out 15 dudes the other night. Really, really good. Spider tack or not, still a really, really good pitcher. It's kind of like, where you know, entering this final month, I'd say it's somewhat even between those three guys. Like, maybe you go Cole, Lynn, Ray, I don't know. Like, you could probably make a case for for all three of them down the stretch. And I think that their performance over this final month is really what's going to dictate, you know, how these things, how that race ends up in a really big way. That's something to watch for Blue Jays fans. Like, every time Robbie Ray starts over the next month, it's a bit of an event if you're a Blue Jays fan. It's a Ray Day, uh, and that's kind of a cool thing to have. Yeah, it's. I mean, he's been so good. He's been he's been incredible, and absolutely, you know, that is one of the best, maybe the best, uh, one year signing of the entire off season. Probably Marcus Semyon would be the second best across Major League Baseball. So the Blue Jays had the best and second best one year deals all off season, and yet still uh, fighting for that for that playoff spot. Um, but yeah, Do they Ray also have the incredible. worst in Kirby Yates. Well, I'm right? sure there are. They've worse got ones. literally zero. Is that worse than DJ LeMahieu right now? Like well, you, you said, know, one year deals. Like the, the, oh, the one two best one year deal. Yeah. Did they have also the worst one year deal? Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, right? Yates Probably. would have to be up there. Yeah, he would have to be up there. So yeah, so I mean, you know, Ray is so good, and and you know, I'm this year I'm voting for American League Cy Young. So you know, I'm watching this very closely. I'm not going to tip my hand as far as what um, you know who's the quote unquote leader there, because of course there's still a month remaining. That's that's the sixth of the season. We don't know who is going to deserve this award, but we do know that with a month remaining, Ray is very much in that conversation. So is Cole. So is Lynn. Lynn's on the injured list right now. So other guys could emerge, of course. So Ray is is just having an incredible year. He's getting stronger as the year goes on. To have 15 quality starts in his last 17 outings, just incredible. The month of August, I think his ERA was like 1.7. So he's been great. And you know, it's it's part of a rotation that that more broadly has been very effective for this team. And credit to him for coming through a period in August when his stuff was declining, like when the velo was down, when you could see their outings where he was fighting it on the mound, and like still found ways to get outs, right? And that's kind of like the hallmark of a really, really good frontline MLB starter is on the days when you aren't feeling your best, when you don't have your feel or your your control or your command, you don't have the velo there, I don't know, you didn't have ideal recovery after your last outing or whatever, your playing got in late, et cetera. 
you know, all that crap aside, you still find a way to get out. You still find a way to get through, I mean, at least five, but like in Robbie Ray's case, more often seven. It's remarkable. You know, that's right up there with the durability, I think, is the most impressive things about him as, you know, a max effort guy is like a dude who clearly like puts a lot into each and every pitch. And you talk to Pete Walker and he says it's the same thing in, in his bullpens. Like you hear him grunting out there during his bullpens as well. He doesn't, you know, Hunchin Ryu doesn't even throw bullpens. There's some guys who maybe aren't quite max effort in their bullpens. It's, we're told Robbie Ray is. It is one of the more remarkable things about him. And it's what I think is, you know, beyond obviously like strikeouts are huge. The numbers are great. But I think that just like that durability and that ability to come through that stretch where he didn't have his best stuff while still making outs and while not, you know, putting his team in a tough spot. That's what's most impressive to me. And there's no doubt if the Blue Jays do make the playoffs, well, they will be a wildcard team. So they would be in a wildcard game. And Robbie Ray, you would want starting that game. Now, there's a chance that in that scenario, they would have had to use him in the final weekend of the, se- of the season, in which case you probably have to get creative. But if you could line it up, you want Ray. Manoa would be available as a long guy just in case that day. Meza and Romano are the only two relievers you really trust in that situation. And again, not likely, but that's the guy. I mean, there's no question, even on a staff with Ryu, even with Barrios, Manoa, they've got a very good starting rotation as a whole, but there is no question who the Blue Jays would want and should want in a must-win situation. Let's be honest. The way this is going for the Blue Jays, they're not going to be able to line it up for the wild. If they yeah. make the wild card game, I mean, it's going to be the final series of the season, like needing yeah. wins in those games as well. So it's really going to be just whoever is available. Yep. But you feel pretty good, like no matter if it's if it's Ray, if it's Mats, if it's Manoa, if it's Ryu, like you feel okay with like whoever would end up like landing in the spinning wheel of roulette there on that day if the Blue Jays did qualify for the wildcard game. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's been a really good rotation, as you said, all, you know, really since the end of May, beginning of June, it's been very consistent. We talk, you know, usually at the beginning of every year, one of our over-unders is how many starting pitchers the Jays are going to use. And I think every year I take the over because you just have to bet that there are going to be injuries. You have to bet that there are going to be these random needs for these starters who just who have to contribute and fill in gaps. And even this year, I don't know the number. I'm sure the Jays have used 10 plus starters. But over the last few months, it's really been consistent. It's really been those five, six guys stripling, of course, on the injured list now. But as they enter this final stretch, like you're not wondering how are they going to fill this gap or are they going to use an opener? Is it going to be a bullpen game? Like they've kind of had Thomas Hatch warmed up and ready for a month now at AAA. But as you said, he's just been that guy on reserve because the major league rotation has been very, very effective. They've used 15 starters, Ben, but, uh, but they've had three guys make 24 starts or more, which is huge yeah right like those are three guys in ray ryu and mats who are on track to make close to 30 starts this year which is like and probably for ray and ryu above 30 starts so like that's huge that's great that is foundational that's one of like these high upside things that like these amazing outcomes the blue chase have had this year uh that they may not take advantage of let me ask you this ben like let me put this to you so in the month of august There were 122 pitchers across MLB to throw at least 20 innings. 
So like 20 innings in the month of August, like pretty decent pool of the pitchers who pitched an MLB a fair amount month of August, 122 of them. Do you know who had the lowest ERA of those 122 pitchers to throw 20 innings in the month of August? Wow. Um, you know what? Robbie Ray would be high on that list, but I feel like the answer here might be Steven Matz. It is Steven Matz. <laughs> that is where I am leading you. 1-3 ERA in the month of August led baseball wow. among pitchers to throw at least 20 innings. Remarkable. Like totally quiet, totally under the radar, just humming along. It's not like Matz like just edged into that group, by the way, at like 20 and a third innings or something. He threw 27 and two-thirds innings. That month, like he made his starts, he's pitching deep into them, didn't allow runs. Like it's uh he has been on a real roll since the the beginning of August. Um, and obviously, like wasn't his best on Wednesday against uh, the Baltimore Orioles, walked in a couple of runs early in the game. He threw his 56th pitch in the second inning, but lo and behold, he still got through five. And he still found a way to like make an in-game adjustment, stop yanking that fastball, get back in the zone, get back on the plate, let the changeup be effective uh, a night when he really didn't have his curveball at all and still get outs and still get through five innings, having only allowed those two runs, which he walked in himself like Steven Matz is like quietly on a very nice run of effectiveness here. It's flying under the radar in this rotation, but I don't know that it should. Yeah, it's it's, you know among the many things that has kind of gone very, very well for the Blue Jays this year, which it's such a year of contrast where some things have gone so well and some things have gone so poorly. But, you know, if you have a number five starter, which is what Matt's is for this team, if you have a number five starter who's going out there and posting like a 3-8 ERA and making all his starts, that's a dream. That's like the ideal. As a general manager, if you get that guy on, you know, one-year short-term commitment, He's able to take those innings for the staff and just prevent you from overexposing the, you know, whoever it is, the Connor Overtons, the Trent Thornton, whoever's been there on any given week, Matt's is giving you solid innings. It's really been a, a huge you know, jolt uh, for this team. It's, it's helped them a lot. The guy who had a 9-7 ERA last year for the New York Mets, yeah. 2020, uh, lost his rotation job, was required for like three edge of the 40-man roster guys by the Blue Jays. Another great offseason pickup, man. Blue Jays won the offseason. <laughs> they really did by a mile. And it's kind of interesting. Like Matt's had, you know, he had a really good start to the year. And then he kind of went through this bout of ineffectiveness in the middle. There was a COVID positive in there as well. You know, there's a lot going on. But uh, you just kind of look at, you know, the stuff. And the stuff has been pretty consistent throughout. Like, you know, the velo is down a little bit at times, but like, you know, it's been fine. Like the usage has been fine throughout. It really just has been like location for him. And when he wasn't going well, like his basically like Steven Matz, like in a nutshell, is just like fastballs, sinkers up and change ups down. And yeah. when he wasn't going well, the sinkers were moving towards the middle of the plate, as were the change ups. Change ups coming up as well. And the adjustments he's made is he's gotten the changeup back down. He's got the fastball back up. Fastball changeup has just been huge for him. And then, you know, when he runs into right-handers, as he is going to very often, like he can jam them with that with that fastball. You can throw changeups into them as well. Or you can, like, attack their back feet with curveballs. Um, like, his, it's just like that, that location for him has just been the 
biggest thing. We haven't really gone too in, in depth with him about it or with Pete Walker about it or Matt Bushman or whoever he's been working with. But the Blue Jays have clearly like for as much as they quote unquote fixed Robbie Ray, kind of fixed Steven Matz too. Or they kind of at least found a way to like get him doing what's going to allow him to be successful at this level. It hasn't gotten quite as much press as you know the Robbie Ray adjustments have and the Robbie Ray improvements have but Steven Matz is a guy who like the Blue Jays pitching crew Pete Walker Matt Bushman everybody else who contributes to that have done a really really nice job with as well for sure for sure and as um Nick Ashbourne wrote about this former ATL contributor thanks to everyone who listened <laughs> last week um but uh Nick wrote about how Matz has basically started locating that fastball up and into righties really effectively recently jamming them that's a good thing so that's uh, a, a nice development for the blue jays yeah just keeping his stuff off the middle of the plate let's say that steven Matz has like five more starts on the season right and let's give him like five innings per so let's give him like 25 more innings um and he's currently at 123 so he, let's say he ends up at like just under 150 innings for the season ends up making 29 starts his ERA has steadily been declining since that that midseason bout of ineffectiveness. Right now, it's three eight. Let's say it gets down to like three six, three six five. Is that unreasonable, Ben? So let's say he ends up at one forty eight innings pitched over twenty nine starts, three six three six five ERA somewhere in that territory. Are you starting to consider a qualifying offer for pending free agent Stephen Matz? It's super interesting. I think um, I, I like that the conversation has gotten to this point where you can even you know consider that. Ultimately, I think no, because if you're the Toronto Blue Jays and you're thinking about that, then okay, what what happens if you do qualify him? Well, putting myself as as Stephen Matz's agent in that situation, I would say yes, take it, done. Um, sign, 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 a, sign, sign. Yes, that would be my <laughs> advice to Stephen Matz in that situation. Now, I don't know. He might not view it the same way. His agent might not view it the same way. But in that scenario that he accepts, then you got Stephen Matz for about $19 million. And to me, hey, if the qualifying offer was 11 or $12 million, yes, you qualify him. Because that's probably fair value for a back-end starter who, who can give you um, some quality innings. But at 19, I wouldn't go there so i would i would land no but it's an interesting thought experiment well here's the thing if you got 29 starts next like say he just repeats the season right it's 29 starts 365 era is that not worth 19 million dollars yeah it is so i think it comes down to how you project him and whether you think that he can do this again and you know maybe he can in which case some team is going to be very very happy with with signing steven matz but there's also the chance that he doesn't quite replicate this season, in which case, you know, maybe that money could be better spent elsewhere. Totally. And I like if he did replicate this season, it would be fair at $19 million. And that's almost like why it won't happen, because like the teams aren't looking to pay players a fair rate. They're looking for surplus, right? That's what they're looking for, what they got out of Steven Matz this year. They're looking for what they got out of Robbie Ray this year, which is like, hey, we paid you way less than you could have gotten on the open market. Um, and I do think like Steven Matz would easily just sign it, probably. He would double his career earnings in one season if the Blue Jays offered him that, right? So I think it would be pretty easy for him to accept that, especially with like 
the CBA uncertainty and all that and how cold the free agent market is likely to be until there is some certainty going forward about like what the rule play is rules of play are going to be. So it could be pretty easy for him to just like lock that up and take it. But I don't know, maybe for the Blue Jays, maybe you project Steven Matz being a little bit better. Maybe you think like, hey, if we get that done right away, like we did with Robbie Ray last year, get him working with with P. Walker over the offseason and our pitching folks, get him getting even better. I don't know. Maybe there's another step for him, right? Like maybe the Blue Jays actually project this again. It'd be interesting. It really is. I think, you know, one way or another, you got Mats and Ray hitting free agency and you've got Barrios, you've got Ryu, you've got Manoa as your starters for next year. So that's two really big gaps. Even if you have Stripling and Thornton, even if you have Thomas Hatch, like you need more. So the Blue Jays need to be adding multiple, multiple starting. And I, you know, I know we said we would not get too much into the free agency stuff here, but you need to be adding multiple starting pitchers if you're the Blue Jays and you need to add multiple relievers. And I don't mean two. I mean like four relievers, two starters. This team's going to look a lot different next year. And again, we'll have lots of time to get to that, but it's going to look a lot different. Totally. And I will just say as, you know, just for context, coming off of 2019, Jake Odorizzi had pitched 159 innings, 3-5-1 ERA ball, got a qualifying offer. Zach Wheeler that year, 3-9-6 ERA, over 195 in the third innings, got a qualifying offer. Sort of similar range to where Steven Matz is going yep. to end up in just in terms of pure, you know, ERA statistics, which I know aren't sure. worth that much in this, but it's interesting context to have, right? Even think about 2020, which like obviously, you know, there's a million qualifiers with 2020 and you almost have to just like erase that from your memory because it's so hard to draw conclusions from it because it's such a weird, the circumstances were so unique, but Kevin Gossman got qualifying offer coming off a 3-6-2 ERA season. Marcus Stroman didn't even pitch in 2020. 2019, 3-2-2 ERA got a qualifying offer. So it speaks to like how strong Steven Matz has been that he's even pitched himself into the conversation where you're now considering it in like May, June, July. It was, it was laughable to even have this discussion. Now it is at least a consideration. Man, even a few weeks ago, we were talking about, is it going to be Matz or Stripling who's bumped from the rotation? Then Matz goes out and has this incredible August. You know, he, he, as you said, leads baseball on ERA for a month. That's not an easy thing to do. There are a lot of good pitchers in baseball. So give him credit for that. Ultimately, I welcome these academic discussions. I think it stays academic, but we'll see. Maybe he'll lead baseball in ERA again and the whole discussion (laughs) will change. Last bit for this week. What do you make of the Blue Jays sort of cycling through these like veteran outfielders that are popping up on waivers and finding themselves in the Blue Jays organization? Thinking of like Gerard Dyson and Gregory Polanco. Like what what is happening here? What is behind these moves? Well, I think, you know, there are two different things the Blue Jays are trying to accomplish with those moves. With Dyson, the way I see it is they want someone alongside Randall Gritchuk who can play center field and Dyson gives you that ability. So I think that's meeting a need at the major league level at a time that, you know, we've seen Josh Palacios, he's not quite ready. Um, whether it's 
the dive in Detroit where, you know, a ball gets past him for what should have been a single ends up being an inside the park home run or just being overpowered on fastballs and not being ready offensively. So Palacios isn't quite ready for that role. You need someone alongside Gritchuk, who obviously is struggling offensively. Dyson doesn't give you a ton of offense, although I do love the element of speed that he brings to this team, um, especially as a bench piece when you have expanded rosters. I like Dyson as a guy who's not starting, but who comes in as a defensive replacement, who comes in to pinch run. If you've got, say, Alejandro Kirk on in a big situation. So I think I really like the Dyson claim. I think it's great, especially as you go into September with bigger rosters and bigger benches. I think it's a great pickup, small scale, but really like that pickup. And then the Polanco one is interesting. Like, I think that's more of a triple A flyer. I don't know where you land on, on Polanco, but you know, I would have expectations very low there, but you know, we'll see where it goes. Well, the Polanco one is more interesting to me because, like, obviously his upside as a player is so much higher than Gerard Dyson, and he could still have some career left, whereas Gerard Dyson is, like, 37, is obviously, like, he is what he is at this point. Gregory Polanco is, like, 29 and has had better seasons than Gerard Dyson has ever had. And obviously, you know, he starts having shoulder issues, I guess, like basically right after that, like incredible 2018 that he had has surgery. I guess it didn't take or there's after effects. Like it's clearly something that has continued to affect him going forward. And he just hasn't been the same guy since 2018. But it wouldn't be the strangest thing to see a guy who has a proven track record in MLB, who has had really strong seasons in MLB against the best pitching in the world, get healthy make some adjustments, make some tweaks, figure something out and rediscover that. Like it wouldn't be the craziest thing if there still is another couple good years of Gregory Polanco in there. Clearly it hasn't worked out for the last couple of seasons, but it's just a super interesting um, kind of flyer to me for the Blue Jays. And then even just because look, you're basically you've got a month, right? And AAA season this year runs through till the end of MLB season as well. So you've basically got a month of games, got four or five weeks to figure out what's ailing him right now right like what the problem is if it's correctable if you can help him correct it if he's motivated to correct it and if he is somebody who you want around your culture and your team and your clubhouse and things like that and if all those things all those boxes get checked off maybe you look at bringing him back for 2022 very early in free agency maybe this is similar to a Robbie Ray situation where you take a guy who is like completely lost with another organization, just playing himself off of their roster, Robbie Ray, like walking everybody in the world and just a complete mess. You bring him in for a month and you get him working with your crew and you see, okay, we can correct this. We can fix this. We know what we need you to do. You're motivated to do it. You're hardworking, bring you back real quick. As soon as free agency opens and now, Hey, all look, with Robbie Ray, obviously, you've got like a best possible outcome. It's not always going to work out like that, but it is just like a very, very interesting play to me for the Blue Jays. And and so I, I'm I'm very intrigued just to see like how how this process plays out over the next month. Yeah, I think you're right to say that it's kind of like a get to know you month. And, yeah. you know, maybe maybe it leads somewhere. Maybe they want to continue that um, after the month of September. You know, we'll see. What happens there? I, I guess, yeah, Polanco probably the high upside, Dyson the high floor. Of the two, honestly, I'm probably more intrigued by Dyson, but, you know, we'll see. You know, 
it seems like you're obviously more intrigued by Polanco. Well, you might be watching Gerard Dyson's final games as an MLB. Right. Right. Like nothing against him. He's had a fine career. But like when I'm thinking about like 2022 and beyond, like Gregory Polanco, there might still be something in there. So that's why that's more interesting to me. Totally. And and I think, you know, when you look at this Blue Jays team or organization, how many outfielders are you truly confident are part of this core going forward? I mean, you've got George Springer. He's arguably their number one or, you know, Vladdy's number one. He's among their top core pieces at all in the organization. But then beyond that, Gritchuk, I, I don't know, like Lourdes Gurriel Jr., I, I'm not sure. You know, like I, I'm not, I just don't see within this outfield, obviously Teoscar would be the second one. So you've yep. got Teoscar and Springer who are core pieces. But after that, it's pretty wide open. And I think the Blue Jays, as they head into the winter, have to be open to situations that involve moving on from Gritchuk or Gurriel Jr. or both. Yeah, not for nothing. Gregory Polanco still hits the ball hard, still yep. draws the occasional walk, left-handed bat, maybe just needs to get healthy. Maybe there's just something in his approach or something in his like uh, you know his mechanics that he needs to tweak and needs to work on. It's going to be interesting to see that play out. But but no, I think you're right. I think the only two outfielders that you really like, you don't even put them in with pen, but at least you pencil them in for 2022, George Springer and Teoscar Hernandez. Beyond that, I think like anything's on the table. Totally, as it, as it should be, because the other guys, and this includes prospects, right, who are coming up, whether it's a Palacios, whether it's a Forest Wall, no one is saying with their performance, I absolutely need to be a part of this team's plans going forward, with the exception of Hernandez and Springer. Totally. Uh, let's step away. He is Ben Nicholson-Smith, and I am Arden Swelling, and you are the listeners, and we thank you, as always, for listening. Our producers, Nick Andrade and Christian Ryan, thank them. We'll talk to you next week on At The Letters. 